0: Now for this month's special series on ReachMD, focus on future medicine. We're looking ahead to pivotal breakthroughs and technologies that will transform healthcare in the coming years. Gene therapy has existed for two decades, but it's only recently demonstrated several notable successes. What scientific obstacles has this technology overcome, and will gene therapy soon be proven safe enough for clinical use? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining us to discuss new successes with gene therapy is Dr. Savio Wu, professor and founding chairman of the Department of Gene and Cell Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Wu. Pleasure to be here. Perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about what gene therapy is and uh, how it is used.
1: Yes, gene therapy as a scientific concept was really born about two decades ago, and the idea is to apply the availability of genes to treat disease. We all know that many, many of the diseases in the population has a genetic base. So now that we have the human genome project completed, and we have all the human genes available at the fingertip, so the idea is to really utilize the genes to correct diseases that are caused by defective genes.
0: I see. And I imagine the first step in that is identifying the defective genes.
1: Yes, that has been going on for many, many years in the past. Thousands of genetic diseases have been identified in the past with a known gene defect. So that's actually where the concept of gene therapy was born because we know exactly what's wrong with the gene that caused the disease and we have the normal gene in hand. So why not put these normal genes to work and put them back into the cells that are affected and presumably we should be able to correct the disease.
0: Interesting. And, and the source for the normal genes, so that's cells from people who are unaffected by the particular illness?
1: Yes, that's pretty much available even on the internet. I mean, you can you can go and look at the human genome, and there are all sorts of genes are available. It could be isolated from normal people, or it could be synthesized uh, organically. And so there's no limit to what kind of normal genes we could gain access to for therapeutic purposes. Mm, That's
0: wonderful. And then I imagine you need to somehow get into the nucleus and and cut out the abnormal gene and replace it with the appropriate gene. How is that accomplished?
1: At present, the technology is really to leave the abnormal gene alone because these are mutations that don't make any functional products. And so essentially we're just putting a normal gene into the nucleus of the affected cells. It's kind of like putting a working engine into an old car with a dead engine.
0: I see. And does the new gene have to be placed in a particular area of a particular chromosome in order to be effective, or it just is introduced into the nucleus, and when the cell replicates, things are fixed?
1: It's not necessary to put the normal gene into exactly the right place or the same place as the defective gene. All we have to do is to really include the regulatory elements for the gene in question. So that the gene, once it's been put into the normal cell, even they're landed in different spots in the chromosomes, they will be regulated the same as the original.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. And, and so when you're introducing these genes, there are promoters and, and suppressor segments that go along with the actual gene that encodes for the protein? Yes. And does that make, therefore, diseases that have single enzyme deficiencies the best targets for this type of therapy?
1: The diseases with single enzyme deficiencies are the most obvious targets for gene therapy, which is where we started. But that also has a lot of requirements, and that is we're talking about treating patients potentially with a single gene treatment, and then that treatment will have to be good for decades of life. And so that's a pretty tall order. I mean, there's no pharmaceutical that's available today who would say one treatment can go for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. So this is a tall order to fill. But gene therapy really has this attractiveness in that the genes, the corrective genes, once it's put into the chromosomes, they will be able to replicate with the resident cell so that the effect will be quote-unquote permanent that, by that we mean long-term. How long is long, we don't know yet, because this experiment has not yet been carried out in patients long enough for us to say. But the expectation in animals, we've seen long-term or permanent reconstitution in mice throughout the life of a mouse, but that's only two years. But in humans, we just don't know yet. We have to wait for the long-term results.
0: I guess in theory, though, as you say, because it replicates with the normal cellular mechanisms of replication, it, in theory, should be long-lasting.
1: Yes, that's the expectation. But in science, everything depends on proof. Absolutely. (laughs) So we have to wait. Now, one thing I would say, though, is that one of the major successes recently that has been reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, that has to do with treatment of the bubble boy disease due to severe combined immune deficiency. The Italian Uh, investigators were able to do one treatment in the affected babies and the effects have been lasting for a number of years now so that these children become essentially functionally normal. They have completely normal immune system, so much so that they live at home and they go to school. So, So it's been long lasting for at least a few years.
0: That's marvelous. Are there other potential obstacles with this type of therapy besides the longevity of it?
1: The one thing that we have to deal with is the immune response to either the gene delivery vehicle or even to the normal gene product itself, because these are things that have not been seen by the body before and they would naturally be regarded as foreign. And if they're foreign, then they ought to be rejected. So in diseases that has nothing to do with immune deficiency, in many other genetic diseases, although we were able to deliver the genes into the cells, it's very important to demonstrate that the reconstituted cells are not going to be rejected by the host immune defense in the future. That is something that needs to be dealt with. So it's almost like organ transplantation. Although in organ transplantation, we're talking about a wholesale change of all the genes in the cell whereas in gene therapy, we're talking about the changing of a single gene. So in, ter- in terms of immune rejection, it is a much less severe problem than organ transplantation. And the regimens that can be used for organ transplantation can certainly be used in gene therapy, uh, but we expect that we actually require less to help the cells to survive long-term in the transplanted host. If you're
0: just tuning in, you're listening to The Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss new successes with gene therapy is Dr. Savio Wu, professor and founding chairman of the Department of Gene and Cell Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. Dr. Wu, we were talking about the immune response I guess that's of, of two types. Uh, one is the agent that brings the gene into the cell. What What is actually used to introduce these genes?
1: There are different technologies. The most common technology that is being used is a defective virus. The reason that the virus is used is because genes are big molecules and they don't gain access to the inside of a cell very easily. And we, the cells have plasma membrane to keep these large molecules out. Of course, the viruses have co-evolved with us for millions of years and the transferring of their genes into our cells has been their business and they know how to do that very well, which is why we use viruses to deliver genes. That said, viruses can also cause disease and that's certainly something that we don't want. So the viruses that we use have all been genetically engineered and that is we take the guts out of the virus so that all the viral genes have been removed. Only the control elements of the virus is still in there, and then we put into those viruses the corrective gene. So the virus that is made out of these kind of a recombinant conditions will be able to recognize and infect target cells and transfer the genes into those cells, which is what we want. But once the genes got into the cells... Because they lack the virus genes that are necessary for virus replication, this recombinant genome of the virus is not able to replicate, and therefore they can no longer make a progeny virus and infect neighboring cells and so on. So that essentially becomes strictly a delivery vehicle for the corrective gene. But once that job is done, they can no longer replicate and cause disease. That is why we use viruses.
0: That's magnificent, and, but, but these viruses can trigger an immune response and, and the new products are new to the body that could trigger an immune response. Either in animals or humans, do you typically use some immunosuppressives?
1: See, when, when we use the virus to deliver the genes, initially, because we're injecting a bolus of virus, that will be recognized as foreign so that the host would generate an immune response against the virus. But then the virus recognizes the target cells and transfers their genes very quickly once that is done, the virus is already gone. So the immune response that we have to worry about is not the antibody response to the virus itself, but the T cell response to the genetically reconstituted cells. And that's what we worry about. But those things can be controlled with immunosuppressives and so that the effect can be long lasting. Now, in the example that I cite of skid babies in, in Italy, They don't even have to do that. And that's because they don't have a resident T-cell system, so that they don't have any rejection problem.
0: Right. It's a special host. Right. Okay. Are there other examples of successes with gene therapy in addition to these 10 children with severe combined immunodeficiency?
1: Yes. The next one that is very exciting has been carried out by investigators at the University of Pennsylvania and this has to do with congenital blindness. For years, these investigators have been using another kind of virus to put genes into the eyes of dogs with congenital blindness, which suffers from the same mutation as the humans. And they were able to correct the disease in the dogs. And so if they would just inject this kind of mutation-correcting virus into one eye of the dog but not the other... And they can show that the injected eye becomes functional and be able to see things, whereas the other eye remains blind. And that effect was in the long lasting for about five to ten years in those dogs. So after seeing this success, they were excited about going into clinical trials. And so that they reported in the New England Journal last year that a few children with congenital blindness that was treated with this gene therapy All of a sudden, they were able to start seeing things. Now, seeing things is not 2020 yet, okay? What they were able to do was that the patients reported that they could now see images of the parents whom they've never seen before and and light and so on and so forth. So it's a major step forward. And the, the reason we believe that the effect is not as good yet as the dog is because the dogs were treated as newborns before these retina cells were degenerated, whereas in the patients that they were teenagers so that the degeneration the in, the, in the retina has already taken shape, so it's much more difficult to reverse. And so the idea is that what would happen to newborn infants in the future, and that would be the next population of patients that will be treated.
0: Are there other successes you'd like to mention?
1: I would say these two are the, are the two best documented, and the others. They're all involved in uh, earlier-phase clinical trials, and so we're not absolutely sure yet that they actually work. I would say a major disease focus for gene therapy, of course, has been the single gene defects. But also, if we could deliver genes into a cell that can reconstitute a missing function, then why not use the same technology to deliver genes into a cell that we can get rid of if we don't want this? Those are the cells that we don't want. So you can say, well, what kind of cells don't we want? how about cancerous cells, Mm -hmm. how about cells infected with viruses, so on and so forth. So gene therapy for cancer and infectious disease has become major topics of investigation. Now in those very complex diseases like cancer, obviously cancer is a very complex disease and every cancer is different and they have thousands of different cancer-causing genes and so on and so forth. It's a combination of these things that cause cancer. So it's, it's the treatment is going to be much more complicated than just a single gene defect by replacing a single mutant gene. Nevertheless, investigators have been working with a, a number of strategies to treat cancer, and they show promise in laboratory animals that those results will have to be validated in clinical trials before we say that it actually works for diseases like cancer.
0: Well, I would like to very much thank my guest, Dr. Savio Wu from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. As he's been discussing with us new successes with gene therapy, he outlined what gene therapy is and how it is done. He talked about some recent successes with single enzyme deficiency or gene mutation illnesses and has just told us that although we're early on, there is some promise for this type of therapy to help in much more complex diseases, such as cancer and certain infectious diseases. Very fascinating stuff. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals, ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please also visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Future Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com. And download ReachMD's iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160. Plus, CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio from the Apple iTunes Store today.